stories from around the corner and around the country. You're listening to All the Best. Proudly supported by the Art Gallery of New South Wales. You're listening to All the Best from FBI Radio 94.5. I'm Madhura Prakash. Before we get into this week's stories, I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge that I'm recording from stolen Gadigal land and pay my respect to Gadigal elders past and present, and also recognise that the area where FBI Radio is situated, Redfern, has long been a place of storytelling, strength, resistance and resilience for First Nations communities. This week, we're bringing you another feature from our partnership with the podcast 177 Nations of Tasmania. In this podcast, host and producer Mark Thompson aims to interview subjects from each of the 177 nationalities represented in Tasmania's last census. Today, we're sharing part of the story of Jenny Williams from Slovakia. Jenny is an author who has written multiple books on her experiences growing up and later fleeing from what was then known as Czechoslovakia. I'm coming from that part of the world which has been has has had very dramatic and exciting experiences. I am from that part of Slovakia which borders with Hungary. The city I'm coming from used to be part of the monarchy in 1918 became part of First Czechoslovakian Republic. Republic. In 1936, it became back to Hungary during the German occupation up to 1945. Uh, It was during the war. You see, uh, Košice was part of Hungary when I was growing up. And then we heard that the Germans were coming through the villages and then some of the villages were burned and all that. So mom packed us up and she took us back to Košice and then we, we lived in the preparation for the war. We were running to the cellar and to the end we finished up living in the cellar with the families, six or right families there for six weeks. But, you know, when you are a child and when you, when you have your mother there and she holds your hands, you feel secure. You don't feel that, that uh, you know, terrible things which were happening in the city. I, I later on find out that they were rounding up all the underground work, workers uh, and were uh, hanging them on the lampposts in the middle of the city. I didn't mm. know anything about it. We were living in the cellar. We were let out for one hour to run around in the fresh air and back to cellar and someone was cooking the dinner and someone was someone was telling us stories and someone was singing. So, you know, it wasn't too bad, really, as a child, I'm talking. Mm. And then we were liberated by the Russians. So we became Czechoslovakia again, second Czechoslovakia. So my family is of Hungarian origin. The native language I have learned was Hungarian. And uh, when we became Czechoslovakian, I was schooled in Czechoslovakia with Slovak language and Russian. And I use those languages frequently. I happen to be the first generation of socialists, youth, and I had no bad feelings 
about uh, Russian occupation, despite the fact that my grandparents, who were in business, their business was nationalized and uh, they had bad feelings about the socialist regime. But I have benefited with a very good education and uh, lots of activities, sport and culture activities, which were for free for us. And uh, so I had a very good childhood and very good teenage years, really. And we were put together to uh, working parties. And to me, the equality between boys and girls was taken. I didn't see boys different to me. It, mm-hmm. it was all equal. So we were two or three women in that working party and the rest of them were boys. And we worked equally hard or we didn't work equally hard. We greeted each other, we cuddled each other, we, you know, but there was no, no difference in our part of the world. There was no difference between boys and girls. If you, uh, you know, eventually when you, when you grew up, you became aware of one or the other boy which you like more. But other than that, even in working places, there was no difference. When we were, uh, when we came to Australia, someone told me that women can't lift heavy subjects and all that. It was in in Cadbury's that you no no don't don't do that. The men will put it away. And I thought, oh, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know about that. But there is uh, the equality was everywhere, and we were. You know, we were great mates. Even the teachers were kind of more friendly. There was no... Brian was saying that they were being hit hit by the sticks and everything. Mm-hmm. If they, there was no punishments. Yeah. No punishments at all. That was all ideology. And we were told that we are working for our country and for ourselves. Yeah. This is how the first generation of socialists used. But I don't know what happened later when I grew up. Yeah. It deteriorated, but I know that this was a very good ideology and people were moral towards each other. I got married, I had two children. I took my husband to join the Communist Party because I thought it was a good thing to do. In, uh, uh, things have changed in 1968, 21st of August, when our country was occupied by Russian, by USSR and the Warsaw Pact Army, yeah, Dubček and Prague Spring. It, uh, it was preceded with a very dramatic and exhilarating dice where we thought that there is kind of freedom which we never really experienced. We didn't know what was happening when we were occupied. It was a die when the aeroplanes kept circling around us and we had no idea what what was happening. And the next day, my mom went to work and she phoned me back and she said, do you know that the whole city is full of Russian tanks? And this is how I find out that we were occupied. Turn on the television and we find out then about the Prague and all all the dramatic things which has happened. But prior to that, on the morning at four o'clock, the phone rang in our place and uh, my husband's cousin was working as a dispatch guy in uh, somewhere, some kind of car company, autobus or something company. And he said... 
I don't know what is happening, but the tanks are pouring in through the east from Russia mm-hmm. to Košice. So we thought that there was something and we knew about Prague Spring. Anyway, when we find out all about this, it was, uh, it was very dramatic because there was some shooting in the city. I uh, didn't go to work for about a week and I was trying to find out where I will hide with the children. But to the end, I went back to work and because of the place, it was like a city council, my workplace. It was surrounded by tanks with all the Russian soldiers sitting in the turrets playing harmonica and uh, people from the office went down to them and because we were taught Russian kind of, basically, we could communicate with them. They thought that they were in... West Germany, that mm. they uh, suppressing an uprising, which didn't happen. But I'm not talking about places like Prague and that because they had a different experience. But this mm-hmm. is my experience, and I'm saying it as it happened to me. Anyway, they were uh, sitting in uh, tanks in front of the radio station and hospital and all the sort of... Um, pivotal places in the city. And so far it was not too bad. But as I was talking to people I knew, they, there was always less and less of them in the city. And they were escaping because some of the borders were very porous at that time. They, they didn't clamp down just yet. Anyway, we decided that we'll see what what happens. But then uh, our um, the uh, boss of my and the person who was in charge of our department arrested. He was uh, in his office with two Russian soldiers at his door and all that. It was starting to get very threatening and uh, the people uh, were told not to go to the streets and uh, the Russian tanks going around. So I have here a uh, little write-up about how, how it went. It was too much. In the second half of 1968 and the first of 1969, the sharp edge of circumstances were turning in my sinews and bones, wanting to tear out my heart so it remembers nothing of the painful and heart-wrenching memories. Those memories which started at the night when tanks for four abreast were rolling through the dark streets which shut down turrets and guns pointed to the sky like remote controlled toys with a deep and constant noise that echoed in the asphalted streets when they were being torn open like can of sardines between the four, six or twelve-story flats. I'm Yeni, and it was I who thought it all out. No future for us and our children in this country after the occupation by USSR. No prospect of keeping our jobs, no university studies for children, no security. Only tanks with Russian soldiers sitting in turrets with their katyushkas at the ready. There were seven of us, four adults and three children. My mother, whom we called Mommy, Chirpy, my sister, six years my junior, and her one-year-old son, Roman, my husband, Diano, myself, 
and our two children, Istvan and Zsuzsi. All together in February 1969, we escaped illegally from the country behind the Iron Curtains, then called Czechoslovakia. Before our departure, we read the pamphlets about Australian way of life, which we were sent by a friend who had already escaped, and he got them from Australian embassy in Vienna. We compared the minimum wages, the housing, the schooling, the prices, and the freedom. We were well informed, even worked out after all our weekly shopping of grocery and adding some small luxuries, we still would have $5 saved from our minimum wages. Five whole dollars. What a country, I thought. We thought about it all and about the luxury of vast possibilities. The decision of emigrate is a complex issue. Emotional, political, financial and moral questions had to be considered. And they were, what will be the moral and financial consequences for my mother to leave her job as a legal advisor to a large wholesale firm? for my sister to leave her teaching position and for me to give up my position of secretary to the invalid committee, and for my husband, who had 150 people working under him. All right, all right, I argued. I know there will be insecurities, unknown problems, and problems with the language, but the hardest part surely had to be to get over the borders. Once we are safe in a free country, this will be good. A little hardship for a short while, that's all. We are all healthy, well-meaning, and hard-working people. That belief and my capability to voice my opinion with a self-confidence and assuredness helped. They all listened and believed in the picture I painted about our bright future. One cold winter morning, when the snow was heavily vying down the bare branches of trees and the streets looked like enchanted fairy tale, we turned the key in the door of our flat on the second floor in the block of flats and carried the three suitcases, which from then on represented all our belongings to a railway station where we caught the train to Vienna. I might never see this city again. I might never feel the familiarity of the cramped bus, the exchange of smiles, the murmur of conversation mingled with humming of the engine. The thought left me cool and indifferent. It doesn't matter. It's in the past already. I don't belong to this crowd anymore. I look, uh, look on the white streets with my eyes, but my mind is excited about tomorrow and the dice after tomorrow. Somewhere, it's all between my eyes and my brain. I don't give my heart a chance to express its feelings, and I make a conscious effort not to be sentimental. It's unforgettable, and there are no words to express those feelings. My grandma walks me out to the front gate, the familiar dress, the familiar pinned up white hair and the familiar brown eyes, now full of sorrow. Look after the children, Yeni. Look, Yeni is my native name. Look after them well. She grips my arm. I feel her warm, wet cheek against mine. The very last touch and the very last memory of my grandmother makes me sad. <laughs> On the train at the Hungarian and Slovak border crossing. The brakes screech. I have crossed this border many times, but never so nervously as to die. 
naively we think that to cross this border will be the hardest part of the whole emigration. If we appear suspicious, they could return us to Czechoslovakia. We keep looking through the window, the flat country is covered with snow. Two men, one in Hungarian blue-gray, the other in Slovak khaki, checks the passport. This is all they do. They are impersonal and polite. Uh, the passports are in order. How much money are we taking with us, they inquire. Just what is written in the passport declaration, I say. The Hungarian presses a rubber stamp on the page 12 of each passport touches his head and they both leave. Through the window we see men in uniform with guns hanging from their shoulders and sniffer dogs at their heels walking on the platform. A group of four men enters the carriage. All suitcases and bags down from the overhead net, please. Our heads stretch and struggle with their weight as we lower them onto the seat. Open them, please. They move their hands among the contents of our cases and stick their arms deep into our bags. So where are we going with children? Just visiting an aunt in Vienna, I say. Mmm, they sigh. The children are stuck to me on one side, on each side, and I'm sweating. Chirpy, my sister, stands in the middle of the compartment holding Roman on her arms. Roman behaves in exemplar, exemplary manner. Two of the men step back, keeping the door open. The other, the other two kneel on the floor, looking on the seats with torches. I feel threatened. We don't dare to talk. Is it over or is there more? After 30 minutes, the train is still not moving. There is a sudden traffic in front of our window. More soldiers go on the train. Did they find something? Another 30 minutes. Soldiers are walking about in front of our compartment. Did they get someone off the train? We are still not talking. The train starts moving. My hand slides into the pocket of my skirt, searching for my handkerchief. I wipe the purse of sweat about my lip and exchange a smile with my sister. Anyway, we arrived to Australia, and uh, after we did, it was incredible. It was exciting because it was a new, new country and a new, new environment. My mother and sister were assigned to Tasmania. I, they decided it, I don't know how they decided it, but it happened on the aeroplane. And uh, the guy spoke German and my mom spoke German and she kept saying, family, family, together, together. <laughs> so we finished up in Tasmania then. And we had uncle here who also okay. helped us to settle first. So this is what happened. They were dramatic days. When we came first to uh, Australia, we were looking for a job, and in early 1970s, it wasn't hard. There were yeah. you really walked into any job you you know you were capable of doing. But because I didn't speak English, I didn't have much hope. Uh, someone told us to go to Cadbury's that they hire people, so I did. We did, really. We, we always went in packs, you know, my husband, my mother, my, my sister, because yeah. we were hoping that one of us will be employed anyway. So my husband got the first, the first day when he applied, he got a job in silk and textile. I finished up with a Hungarian guy who started to introduce yogurt in Hobart, and no, not many people people knew about yogurt. He had a little mm. yogurt factory down in uh, Lena Valley, next to the milk factory. And so 
I started half past four on the morning, and uh, we didn't have a car, so he would pick me up at half past four from where we lived, and I finished at five o'clock. But it was good, because we act Hungarian, all die. (laughs) He was very good, and every time uh, he had a chance, he packed a full box of yogurts and cheese, cottage cheese and stuff, so it helped us, the family helped. After that, oh yes, one day he came and he said, Jenny, what do you know about chemistry? I said, oh, I matriculated from chemistry. And so he lit a cigarette, he went to the laboratory of Biker's Milk and uh, came back and he said, they want you for interview. There is a place in, uh, you know, in the laboratory for laboratory assistant. So I went. I went for an interview and the guy who interviewed me couldn't speak Slovak or Hungarian or Russian and I couldn't speak English. So I was just guessing what he was asking, and my answers were yes, no, by, you know, just but what what I was, anyway, what I was thinking that it is right, and um, came back to the my working place, which was behind the laboratory, and my boss asked, so how did you go? I said, no idea. So he lit another cigarette, went up, and he came back, and he said, you are hired. I said, you're joking. I didn't think so. Anyway, I did get hired, and I was working there for 10 years. I got my qualification as laboratory analyst, and I was basically running the the whole show, really. And it was fabulous, the best time of my life. First three months, we couldn't speak, so we drew pictures to each other. My boss in the laboratory, he drew a picture what he wanted me to do, and I did. And... Half of the factory people who were bringing samples in from the production, they all got pencils, they drew pictures what they want, and I drew pictures back, and this is how we communicated. The people were marvelous. The people were absolutely marvelous, not resentful at all, wanting to share, wanting to introduce the Australian way of life. One of the guys from the factory, behind the factory, lit up a little barbecue thing, and he got sausages and tomatoes and all that, and turned up on the paper plate, and he said, Australian barbecue! (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful, beautiful, I have... I, the best best part of my settling in Australia, really, 10 years I was working there, and then I opened my own business. For a long time, I didn't know what it means. People were saying, see ya, and I didn't know what it means, so I said, see ya, and then they answered, that was good, and someone explained to me later that it is see you later. I said, oh, I didn't know that. I was copying the language. I find interesting that the families are not uh, extended families. I got to know a lady and she told me that her sister lives in Devonport and she hasn't seen her for years. I said, why? And she said, oh, she she lives in Devonport. I couldn't believe it. To me, it was the family was always family. It was a very Mm -hmm. important part. Also, I was told at school that the children were two years ahead of the curriculum of uh, Australian. Right. And I thought, 
Well, that's a big difference. Uh, the teacher told me when I barely could speak English that it would be best if we forget about our own language but talk English at home. And I thought, yeah, how would that be done? After I started working in Biker's Mill, they sent me to get my qualification as a laboratory analyst because I had the basic qualification for chemistry, but I haven't been taught about the milk and all that. So I was given this English book of 200 pages to learn. And what I did at that time, I was working for Biker's Milk finished at five o'clock and at six o'clock I started at the townhouse, which is now something mid-city hotel or something, washing up dishes. And I came back at midnight. I would put the um, heater on and I would get the dictionary and word by word translated 200 pages of English into Slovak. I read Uh it and I thought, oh, so this is what it is. I learned it in Slovak and tried to translate it back to English. And through that, I have learned how to spell how to spoke, my vocabulary grew, of course. And I went to, uh, went to Launceston for exams. And uh, yeah, I passed 90-something. And I thought, yeah, by, by then I, was, uh, I, I could communicate. But prior to that, it didn't really worry me that I couldn't speak English because the people were so, so helpful and so trying to, to help me to talk that, you know, that it didn't, I didn't feel threatened or I didn't feel lesser or I mm-hmm. didn't. And what is funny, I never really was homesick. I never yeah. was homesick. I always was very grateful for this, what we got and what, you know, how, because I always think that the people make the place and the people made this place. People, they all feel the same. They all love. They all cry. They all feel sad when something, they all love people around them and the family is important to them. And this is the common thread and the the traditions and the customs come lighter and it just depends where you find yourself, which part of the world. And this is where you create your sort of customs and traditions and whatever. That story was from 177 Nations of Tasmania, a podcast by Mark Thompson. To hear the full episode, head to markthompsonmedia.com or search 177 Nations wherever you get your podcasts. All the Best would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which we make these stories and pay our respects to elders past and present. All the Best is made at FBI Radio on Gadigal Land in association with SIN and Free Triple R on Wurundjeri Woiwurrung and Boonwurrung lands and ACCC on Arunde and Waramungu lands. The All the Best editorial manager is Mel Chun and Phoebe Adler-Ryan is our production manager. Our social media producer is Isabella Lee. Patrick McKenzie is our community coordinator. Shining Bird composed our theme music and Annie Hamilton designed the artwork. 
We are heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network and we're made possible by the Art Gallery of New South Wales and the Community Broadcasting Foundation. You can find our full archive of more than 500 episodes at allthebestradio.com. I'm Madhura Prakash. Thanks for listening.